Welcome to another episode of I Know I Know, a solo Beatles podcast where we talk all things Beatles, group, and solo. Now, I am joined by, I I don't know if I can call him a god, but like, (laughs) please don't. (laughs) He is, he basically wrote like the follow up to the Beatles recording sessions, which obviously Mark Lewison wrote. Um, he is hailing in from Toronto, Ontario, where it is not snowing, thankfully, for him. <laughs> um, Jerry Hammock. Jerry, how's it going in Toronto? Great. It's going great. Uh, thanks for having me uh, on your show, Hudson. I really appreciate the opportunity. Anytime. Um, now, today we are recording on a very somber day for us Beatles fans. Um, it's the anniversary of Lennon's passing. Yeah, uh, well, someone of my vintage, I remember, you know, I remember the day very vividly. Um, uh, I was uh, I was at home in back in the States. And uh, uh, for those who don't know my backstory, I'm an American, moved to Canada about over a decade, a little over a decade ago. I'm now a dual citizen, but anyway, grew up in the Seattle area. And uh, uh, yeah, I remember very distinctly the news coming over the radio and just being shocked to tears, uh, just in, instantaneously shocked to tears when I heard that he had been shot. And then very quickly following that, you know, hearing that, uh, hearing that he had passed, um, yeah, just tragic just 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 a tragic day i i did listen now i'm one of those people who cannot listen to double fantasy because of the circumstances but i i listened to double fantasy my my one time a year it's the only time i listen to it well i'd encourage you to listen to it more i mean it's really it's great it's great music Uh, I, i love that album but it's just too bitter like yeah, you know, um, I would uh, so not to make not to make light of this, but um, I would uh, I would have to assume if you want to have a problem with a Lennon album, it would be Milk and Honey, yeah, which is what they were working on right when he got shot. You know, Double Fantasy was out in the world doing things. Yeah, Starting Over was on the charts, I think, and um, so. You know, um, ask yourself, what would John want? <laughs> John would probably want you to be enjoying the music that, you know, that he made. And, the, and, and I tend not to um, even, even note those days of passing for John or George or, or you know, the meaningful members of the crew. Um, uh, I just don't. I mean, I really tend to focus on life and and the life well lived and the life the the life and lives that gave us so many you know so many wonderful moments. And um, Double Fantasy is a killer album, so um, I'd encourage you to listen to it more than just once a year. Fair enough. Now I have to ask you, what is your favorite Lennon album? My favorite Lennon album has got to be Plastic Ono Band. I I can see it's that. So it's so visceral, and it's got 
you know, Claus Vorman on it. My, like one of my favorite bass players, really great guy. Um, uh, it's just, it's so, um, it's so elemental and core and, uh, and really on the, I guess on the heels of, you know, a lot of it was being worked on in, at least in Lennon's mind, uh, he was working on tracks at the end of the Beatles career. And so it's, you know, it's probably the closest we get to a post Beatles Beatles album from Lennon. And I, I just think it's terrific. It's, I think it stands the test of time. Yeah. Plastic Ono Band is mine. I have to go with mind games. Where does Imagine fit in there? Well, Imagine's like number three. It, <laughs> it goes mind games, bridges, Imagine, Plastic Ono. I can't listen to Plastic Ono Band every day. On well, I can't listen to any of it any day, every day. <laughs> like, on terms of Masterpiece and being the greatest album of 1970, and possibly the greatest thing that the man touched, I would put it at the top, but it imagine was like the first thing Beatles I ever touched or listened mm -hmm. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of fatigue factor. Like like that poor record. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, um I get it. I mean, and and these things come and go in cycles as far as 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 your ears are attuned to listen to things. And it certainly isn't bad to take a break for things because from things because um, when you come back to them, you'll always hear something new. Um, I've got, you know, at this point, I've got such a broad playlist of things that I listen to, not, you know, and not just Beatles related, but just in general, that when I cycle around it, even things that are like desert island discs for me, um, uh, if I pay attention, you know, if I'm a good listener, there's usually something you know within within them that that continues to surprise me or or I remember as like oh yeah that's why I thought this was a killer track yeah you I'm know? like that too yeah so so I want to go back to the beginning because you are like a sound engineer full time well as full time as any of us who do this sort of stuff are yeah. I, I do uh, recording engineering and producing. I, I, uh, I'm an artist in my own right. Um, uh, so I've been, I mean, I've been doing this stuff since I was 16 years old or something like that. Like the, like, well, much the better part of my life. Um, but uh, yeah, I came by, uh, I come by the, the interest in it fairly honestly. I've always wanted to make music. I, I was making record. I was making multi-track recordings by crosswiring cassette decks when I was sixteen, <laughs> and um, I rented my first eight-track when I was probably eighteen. Um, yeah, and uh, for those of you who got the books, the diagrams you see in the books uh, for for the flow of of tracks. I was drawing out, like mapping out recording sessions that I was going to do one day when I was, um, geez, yeah, 16, 16 years old, 15, 16 years old of like, 
I know I've only got like at the time I think it was the maximum you get with eight was like eight tracks. And I I would like draw them out and I'm like, I'm gonna record that and that and that and that. And like I do a bounce down mix and do those and those and those and leave room because I want this. And I was doing all that crap when I was a kid. <laughs> so I haven't grown up much. <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> I'm kidding. But... Yeah, that's all right. Um, um yeah, I go, yeah, uh, uh Audio engineering, how things got made, how th- how these things came together, was always fascinating to me, and um, and uh, I was exposed to Lewison's book pretty much right after it came out, and so that also like really wet my appetite of like, oh, you know, how is this, you know, how is music made, um, and uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, um, it was a curiosity that's always been with me. Uh, and um, yeah, it, it ended up being applied to the Beatles. So yeah, my favorite, my favorite band. Well, as they should be. <laughs> now, when did, now did you consult with Mark Lewison when you first got the idea? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, this, you know, the, the work wouldn't be possible period without Mark Lewison, uh, the work that I, the work that I did. Um, and when I, when I really came together with the idea that I'm going to, that I'm going to do, you know, do this research and do this work and publish it somehow, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to come into the world yet, but I immediately reached out to him and I said, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm doing. And I sent him a sample of of what I was of what I was doing and and right up front said I can't do this without your permission you know to for the core you know for the core structural data of the sessions which was just basically what day what songs and that like and uh, she was super generous and just just great and and said go for it you know that 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 he recognized that the research that I was doing was not the research that he had done, that the books that I were, the book, ultimately the books that I was making were not his books. No. You know, and, and so uh, he was like, go for it. This is, you know, this is going to be valuable to the scholarship for the Beatles. And so, yeah, I, um, uh, I, I talked to him or I didn't talk to him, but emailed with him and eventually ended up meeting him. Great guy. But um, yeah, we emailed and, and he gave me his, his permission, his blessing to, to give this a shot. And off I went down yeah. the rabbit hole. Wow. Now when you're like compiling a book, like what was, when did you first, like what, when did you first start to work on the project? Uh, it would be about 13 years ago now. The, the core work took almost a decade wow. before I published, before I published a single book, it was, I think it was eight or nine years before I published the first volume and then to finish the publications of them ended up being, I want to say 11 and a half years or 12 years. And now I'm about a year out from the final volume um, it hasn't ended. I mean, I still, for uh, 
when when there is new information that comes online, that is, uh, I always say is chapter and verse information, uh, meaning that you can trace it back. And it isn't, you know, my friend told me that he heard from blah, 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 that, you know, whatever, that this was the drummer on Old Brown Shoe, whatever it happens to be. Um, that doesn't work for me. It's got to be information that is uh, as seriously vetted as the information that I provide to people through the books. Um, but when that comes online, and it has in, in these anniversary releases through the fact that um, uh, that Apple has assigned uh, Kevin Howlett the responsibility of kind of like updating some of this recording information now then then my then i modify i update the books i update the the editions of the book i include that information also on my website i publish a uh, uh i publish a a free uh list of changes and corrections that come into it so people don't have to keep buying my books to have the latest edition it is if you've bought my books and you want to know what has changed in the, in the knowledge, then just go to the website, download the, there's a free, free PDS for every volume because now every volume is in two. It's, it's at least second edition volume five that covers every road and let it be is now to its second edition. Oh, just wow. download those and, and slip it in your book and you'll have the most current information. Um, uh, and, it, and yeah, and, and the updates. So you know, it hasn't stopped. And I'll, I'll do that as long as that may, I'll do that whenever that makes sense, as long as I'm alive. <laughs> but, you know, but, but where that makes sense, pretty much all of the books uh, are all the all the albums and all the recording work up to let it be are, um, are pretty much locked down, we, we know, we know what we can possibly know, at this point. Um, with Let It Be, there's new information that's come out, uh, uh, you know, obviously just recently through the Peter Jackson documentary yeah. and through the anniversary edition. That has yet to be accounted for within my within my book. Some of it has, some of it hasn't. Um, probably in, in 2022, that book will be pretty much locked down. Um, but, uh, you know, we're not talking about like major, major things. We're talking about we, for instance, with, with Let It Be, we're talking about for all appearances, the electric piano was recorded with, with direct injection. It turns out it was recorded with a KM56, a Neumann KM56 microphone that was placed down by the front speaker for the thing. And there was just no good documentation of that or images of that until the Jackson film came out. And now it's like, oh, it's got a KM56 stuck there. <laughs> so you know but that affects everything right that affects every session that they worked on with the electric piano so that's the sort of thing i'm talking about and like the way you went through like when did you realize because i believe you self-publish if i'm correct yep. yep what is the process of doing that <laughs> well first you figure out that you're getting a you're getting a better royalty rate <laughs> I mean, I talked to I talked to a couple of major music publishers about the books, and we you know went down that road, and it just didn't make a lot of economic sense. And at about the same time, um, uh, 
Amazon through Kindle Direct Publishing really started showing up for for the self-publishing, you know, the ability to self-publish. Like the books, you know, if you if you put the books together correctly, they're pro, you know, they they look great. They're great, you know, they're great books. They're great quality. And so um uh so you know first it was was an economic decision. And then you know the other great thing is um and why I went that way was because some of this information is dynamic, um, I control when it goes out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, Lewison's Recording Sessions book came out in 88. Um, it didn't, it hasn't had an update. No. Um, uh, the Recording the Beatles book, I think is 2005. There's rumor of an update, but it's, I mean, it's out of print. Yeah. And it's out of print and no update. Um, it, it's a different kind of, you know, it's a different kind of book. Does it really yeah. need an update? Not really. I mean, they could add a couple more pieces of gear, but, the, you know, their focus on the studio tools required to do the job that they had it at EMI during the, at, during the era. I mean, it's just, it's so good. It's so I know. Good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what more do they need to do? I mean, that gear didn't change. The gear, <laughs> the gear didn't change between two thousand five and now. It's you know, it's the same gear from the you know the fifties and sixties that they were using on the Beatles stuff. Um, so uh, that was another reason why it made uh, it, it made great sense for me to to take on the publishing of the books. Now it's nerve wracking. It's uh, um, I'm kind of a perfectionist and I, um, and I'm not perfect. So that's a huge conflict. <laughs> perfectionist, but I'm not perfect. Yeah. Um, I can relate to that. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, again, it's, it, it just made, it just made logical sense for me to take it on and to, uh, and to deliver the books in, in that way. And then it's just, you know, you just walk down the road and you learn things about how you, you know, all the, all the, all the steps you need to take to get the thing ready. You know, it's, it's like anything else. You just set yourself on the path. So, and, and I did have to ship all the books out yourself. No, 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 no. See, that's, and that's the beauty of it with, uh, or one of the great beauties of it is uh, the way that Amazon handles it is print on demand. When someone orders a book, it's getting then it gets made by Amazon and shipped to whoever bought the book. And that's to a degree because like my books, my books sell to a degree that they are always they always have some in stock. Um, but uh, um, but that's the idea. It's print on it's print on demand. Books are only made that need to be sold or that have already sold. So um, pretty good deal. Yeah, you won't be like, because I know some authors who publish through like a major publishing end up getting, you know, stacks and stacks of books just sitting there. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a tough, tough, it's a tough business. And for an independent author, like, you know, like myself, um, again, it just made, it just made, uh, it made economic sense for me. Plus I've been able to, um, my life experience has allowed me to understand how to market it, how to communicate those things, how to promote it. Um, 
And then, you know, then there's just been some, you know, it's, it was a book that actually filled, or books that have actually filled a void in, in, in Beatles scholarship and literature. And so it was, you know, they, they've worked well because they were a good fit for, they were a good fit. They were, they were giving people something that wasn't there before. They were putting the pieces together, uh, both putting the pieces together and filling in the blanks. Um, and that's all I was ever trying to do with them. You know, it isn't, um, uh, they're, you know, they're very different from, even though I get compared all the time with some of my source material, with, with the recording sessions, with um, Beatles gear, with recording the Beatles. Um, those are like the big ones. And then the, at the next level, you get the great John C. Wynn's books. Um, uh, but uh, my books are, have, are not those books in any way. They use that some of that information. But my story that I tell for you is from first take to the final remix, how that song was built in the studio. And then to back it up, because it's a reference book, then it is every day in the studio, what did they do? What gear did they use? What work got done on the, who was there and what work got done on the songs? And I challenge anybody out there to find any other books that tell you that story for their entire catalog. So, I mean, that's why I think they've been, they've been welcomed in the community is they fill, they fill a blank. Any chance of you doing these for their all solo albums? Absolutely not. <laughs> And, well, and for a couple of reasons, actually, for a couple of reasons. Um, anyone working on the Beatles stuff uh, is absolutely blessed by the fact that EMI Studios had very meticulous processes that included documentation. Um, when a, when a, a session was booked to a producer uh, or to a producer and a lead engineer, the producer talked to the engineer and the engineer developed what was called a recording sheet. And it said, this is what's gonna happen. You know, th this is what we're gonna do in the studio tomorrow. We're gonna record these songs. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna need these microphones. We're gonna need these, you know, this tape deck, uh, this compressor, this limiter. We're gonna run to this echo chamber. We're gonna need, you know, this plate reverb. It, they had to write it all down and basically make an order, a work order for the day. And EMI kept all of that on record. When you get out past that era of work, I mean, even within that era, Trident Studios, they didn't keep those kind of records. Oh, Olympic Studios, they didn't keep those kind of records. But, you know, but the majority of the work that the Beatles did was at EMI. And so we have that information to, as a foundation for the research and the scholarship. Um, you know, when you get into the solo catalogs, you know, good luck finding out the, you know, a gear list for Lennon at um, um, Tittenhurst. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good luck. Good luck finding that. Good luck finding any documentation of like what McCartney's doing at the mill. You know, what's he got there? When did he acquire it? When did, you know, when did it come into service? Because you have to know... The only way that I could do my work was all these pieces had to line up. Yeah. You know, everything had to line up. It had to be the gear was in use 
during that session by that engineer and for that and for X purpose. And if all those things didn't line up, you can pretty much guess that that wasn't, I mean, you, you're not guess, you can, you can make a, a very fair assumption that then that wasn't being put to work. And so, you know, you'll learn these things across the, the breadth of knowledge we have around the Beatles that certain engineers had certain preferences for microphones yeah. or, or the use of compressors or how they mic'd things. And so then as you're building then the session profiles, you can know that if it's Norman Smith in Studio Two in 1963, then most likely we've got a U48 on the guitar cabinets, maybe one on each or a U48 and a KM56 to split them up because that's what Norman Smith did. Right. And Jeff Emmerich comes in and that profile changes. And Ken Scott comes in and that profile changes. And Glenn Johns comes in and that profile changes. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the way that, that's the way that I worked was there were all these layers of of information that I gathered and, and normalized. And then I had to bring them together to make, you know, to, to build the sessions when it came to the songs themselves. Um, we've got a lot of audio data plus the session data. And now by doing kind of compare and contrast of what was the state of the song on this day, and we know that there were some overdubs in here. And now on this day, the song sounds like, you know, X, work, Y. We can figure out what that work was. Right. And that's the way I did what I did. Just took a decade. <laughs> <laughs> but what else did I have to do? Just age. So what the heck? <laughs> And when you're writing, like when with these diagrams, um, I'll pull one up. What like what computer program are you using? <laughs> Visio, Microsoft Visio. They're not paying me for that endorsement. Ah. <laughs> yeah, just you know, I mean, any diagramming program would, would would work. But you know, it's interesting again with so what the diagrams illustrate is is uh, is you've got the tracks of tape. And you've got the work that's done. And so this is, uh, you, and, and again, it's based off of what we know the work was done through documentation, as well as through either um, additive or subtractive sort of logic. You know, so either I'm backing into it from a finished product, I'm backing out of what, what had to be there at the date. And then when, when I'm, when we know there was a, a, a tape reduction remix because they ran out of tape, we know they filled up the four track and now they've got to send that to another tape in order to add more parts. Um, there's only a handful of ways that that gets done. And then what you hear in your ears for the final product turns into the final product. So, you know, again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of layers of logic underneath it that that you know this isn't just like throwing you know throwing spaghetti at the wall or something like that it's there's a all of these all of these things 
had had to pass the smell test for me as an audio engineer. I worked I worked for a long time in studio, you know, in, in the studio kind of environment that where you use tape. And so with four tracks, you know, for for with four tracks and with the console they had. So this is what, you know, again, my background helped me do these books is when I understand how the console works and the limitations of the console, and I already, you know, understand the, the limitations of like four track tape. Now, when I'm hearing what I'm hearing and it was made with that console, then these are the ways that those th the music had to been show up on the tape to do what it did. And, and that's what you see in the diagrams, that allocation. Yeah. Now, Jared, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I've had a little problem hearing you, sorry. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, um, you're absolutely welcome. Can you tell us um, where we can find you and how to buy the books? Yeah, the books are available through uh, my website, which is BeatlesRecordingReferenceManuals.com one of the longest URLs that you might ever encounter. Um, you can also get them from uh, Amazon pretty much anywhere, you know, anywhere. Um, uh, the books are available now in both soft cover and hard cover. Uh, so if you, you know, if you like, if you're a fan of having a hard cover book there, there, that's, uh, that's new for this year um, was, was what I was kind of trying to get done here for this season for people because um, I had a lot of people ask for that. So uh, hardcover or softcover, you know, take your pick. And uh, yeah, that's where that's where you'll find them. As long as you don't market them with different colored pages, don't take them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, uh, a, a couple of people have, have remarked to me like, great, I can buy the, go, go get the hardcovers and those can be my show copies. And then I can make liner notes in the, uh, in the soft cover copies, and I was joking with I was joking with my uh, my brother, and I said maybe I should make the margins wider in the soft covers now so people can make their own notes. No, I didn't do that. And um, if people want to contact you, how can they do so? You can do it through the website through the uh, uh, Beatles Recording Reference Manuals .com website. You can also reach me uh, through JerryHammock.com. Uh, and, uh, I, I answer my mail. So, you know, if you, if you, if you reach out, uh, I answer my mail and, and if people have, you know, if you've got, and this is, it's, it's come to me this way where, you know, there's lots of really knowledgeable Beatle fans out there. And if you've, you know, got information that makes these books better, please get in touch with me. I'll, I'll make you prove it. But, you know, if you've got information, um, you know, please, you know, please reach out to me um, because I want, you know, I'm a fan too. And I want these books to be as good as they can be. And I know that, that the level of fan that likes this sort of information, they're like, they want it like absolutely right. So I do too. Um, and I'll get it, you know, and, and I'm committed to getting it, at, and I have from the start, committed to getting it as right as it can be. I won't, however, I won't, however, just say something in order to fill in a blank that's there. If I, you'll see, in the, if, you, if you get the books, you don't have them, you'll see in some instances, I say, 
that's unknown, or this is the best we can know, or we don't know. And, and that's the truth of it. And I'd rather you guys know the truth than try to make myself out like I know stuff that nobody knows, because I don't. Maybe I do. I'm sorry? Therefore, proven you're not a god. No, not at all. No, <clears throat> omniscience was not uh, was not one of my skill sets. So, um, have you ever, when you, I'm going to ask you one last question. Has there, did you ever think of reaching out to McCartney or Star, like for a couple things? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Ringo's got my books, so you know, good enough for me. Uh, reaching out to them for information on the books. Um, I, I mean, I, I was in touch with Apple, but, you know, they, you know, who am I? You know, I'm just a guy. And, and so uh, there's that. And then memory is so faulty. You know, memory is, memory is truly faulty. And uh what I could learn from gathering uh, all the objective information out there, stuff again that you could put chapter and verse to, you know, that was evidence-based, that was always going to serve this purpose better than, you know, McCartney's reminiscence or Ringo's about a certain, you know, day. You know, they, they to a great degree have adopted the same stories that most fans have adopted about their own tale. Um, you know, and, and that's the way things, that's the way things happen. Um, so, uh, I mean, look no further than Jeff Emmerich's book to, you know, to see how faulty memory can be. Um, you know, Jeff says that Blackbird was recorded behind studio two and that miraculously birds were singing while McCartney was playing and we've got film of McCartney sitting at the foot of the stairs in studio two tapping his foot with a microphone pointed at it and rehearsing the song for recording and we have Ken Scott's you know attestation that oh and also we've got the takes and we know that the bird sounds were added at mix down so you know yeah, memory. I mean, I would love to talk to McCartney and Paul, if you're watching or listening, anytime, buddy. <laughs> I love you. I do. I love you. Love you to death. You're the reason I make music. Um, so yeah, but Ringo's got my books, and I'm a happy camper about that. So that that is so cool. Like, yeah, Ringo. Ringo doesn't own anything. He just owns money that I've given him. But I, I'm sorry, I'm having a, I didn't hear the comment. I'm sorry. Ringo just owns money that I've given him. <laughs> well, in general, yeah, the Beatles have got a lot of my money too, but that's okay. Um, yeah, that's okay. College bond, 12 copies of McCartney. Oh. I don't actually own that many. I only own one, but. <laughs> okay, well, watch your spending, young man. Be responsible. 